This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. And here we are. Another wonderful edition of the Children's Literature Channel for the New Books Network. I'm Mel Rosenberg, your host, and today I have a wonderful guest all the way in Dallas, Texas. So hello there, Rosie Pova. Hi, Mel. How are you? I'm excited to be here. Hi. I'm twice as excited. You should see me. I'm jumping up, up and down. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Okay, and, and, and wonderful. And we're here to celebrate your illustrious career. You've uh, published many books. And um, you have a new one out, which is all about success and failure, which is a subject that I love. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's so great to meet you. So maybe for the people who are watching, some people are only listening. Uh, Rosie, show us the beautiful book that just came out. Yes, there it is. With Yee Hu. I'm becoming yes, a big fan of right. that publishing house. Helen Wu has been on the show. Um, and Molly Hoffman. And now you are. So Yee Hu. Yee <laughs> Okay. Now th- show us the book. Oh, okay. I, there it is. The School of Failure. And then it says a story about success. Yes. Why does right. it have that subtitle? Well, I didn't want people to, you know, assume that it's a sad book and we only fail and that's it, you know, end of story. Um, I wanted to include the story about success because failure is part of success. And that's just, you know, um, part of the journey. And it doesn't end there. It doesn't have to end there. <laughs> so, okay. and the, the splendid illustrator is. It is uh, Monica Filipina. Yes, she did a great job. She surprised me with a lot of the characters, and it was it was fun to work with her. It's a it's it's really a wacky. Can you show us some of the spreads? Yes, yes, happy to. Okay, so. I love the end notes too. Show us the end notes. Yes. Great end notes. Yes, she did. Let me, I don't know if you see those, but yeah. 
like this. All kinds of things that kids can, um, you know, search for and just match from the other spreads. A lot of fun. And then there's this one. Look at the fairy godmother. <laughs> and the one that's been... The, that's a, the fairy godmother wanted to be a The lawyer, most right? popular is this one. Wow. So yes. can you... Um, for, for the listeners who aren't watching, the thousands of people in the podcast, can you explain what you see? Uh, yes. So we see um, a dragon um, who is the fairy godmother. A total surprise to me. Uh, then we see the, the three characters who um, attend the school to failure. And that's Cinderella, the non-evil queen, and Wolfred. Um, and then we see the lost and found closet, which has so many things that kids can search for. And that's actually included in the lesson guide for teachers to use in the classroom and the library. And it's a lot of fun. So, Okay, we're going to talk about that irony, because most of what we learn in school is that failing is bad. And you want your book to be taught, and it probably is taught in classrooms today. Um, so that's really good. So you want to walk us through the, the story and where it came from? Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, when we think about school, we, you know, absolutely assume that we should go to school because we need to succeed and we need to learn how to exist. And it's all about success and skills and that. But nobody mentions ever or you know um often that failure is part of success that making mistakes is necessary uh, you know sometimes and that we learn from mistakes and we can keep going and, and mistakes and failure I call it like once you start seeing failure as your friend <laughs> and you're not even afraid of it um and you just learn from it then it becomes a different game you know um so i wanted to bring attention to that talking about the failure as part of success mm -hmm. and um at the end of the day your three main characters um end up uh, succeeding at not exactly what they planned yes yes that's right so um they were afraid of failure um so all three characters are basically myself <laughs> you know it's it's an autobiography but um so one wanted to be perfect one wanted to be famous and one wanted to be liked so they were totally afraid of making a mistake or being rejected or failing at anything and they thought it was the end of the world right and being very dramatic about that when they failed their um fairy tale auditions so um that's how second, they ended that, up rosie we have enough time we're talking about the book um so the wolf wants to be loved uh, he wants, yeah, he wants to be loved and liked. But he, but he, um, he likes eating meat. He does. He does. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he um, even though he tries to to sneak in a haiku in a magazine that's only for vegetables. <laughs> so he, um, yeah, he's trying anything and everything to be liked and loved, and he thinks um, he's a good writer. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and a poet, um, but that's really wasn't his calling, and it you know ended up being something else. Um, and and Cinder Cinderella, 
Cinderella wanted to be famous and uh, she was trying to figure out what would make her famous. Um, and um, she couldn't decide. Like <laughs> there were so many things to try and, and she wasn't sure. Um, and so um, she had to give it some time. And um, she, she probably wanted to dance with the prince at the beginning, right? She did. She did. Yes. There were some challenges there, too. <laughs> um, and uh, she thought maybe that would be the, the way to, to make her famous, to make herself mm -hmm. famous. But um, again, that was not uh, <laughs> what got her to what she truly wanted to be and do. Mm -hmm. And, and the non-evil non queen? The non-evil queen um, decided to be a baker. <laughs> um, uh, she just couldn't nail it for the longest well, time. What, what were her initial ambitions? Um, well, she thought baking was interesting um, and not difficult. <laughs> so she, you know, it's just a piece of cake, right? And so... Um, oh, no. Oh, we started with <laughs> yeah, the puns. Yeah, she, she thought, you know, she thought why not? It was a piece of cake, yeah. Yeah, and, um, it, it wasn't. and she tried. She really gave it her best. She really did, but it wasn't working. So, again, and you the, know. And uh, what does the school of failure teach them? Well, it teaches them uh, to keep going, to not give up and and um even when they fail even when they make mistakes and just um several other things like you don't have to be perfect to be your best and it's more important to be to like what you do than to be liked right by everyone <laughs> so um they learn quite a bit and they do find their calling and and be and, and end up being happy with that. Yeah, but they, they find uh, different callings to, in a sense. Different, yes, yes. Uh, it's not always what we initially um, think is, is best for us or what we, um, that's why it's important to explore and to let ourselves make mistakes because how else would you know um, if that's truly what you enjoy? Sometimes it's different than what you think. Okay, and... Um... At the end of the story, so Wolf becomes a. Uh, he, you want me to give out the ending? <laughs> of, um, yeah, because I, I, you know, I think that people are going to run and buy your book after this, after <laughs> yeah. meeting meeting the incredible you, and um, you know, it's a picture book. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you can read sure, it in 30, sure. 30 seconds, right? I'm I'm okay with that. Just making sure. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, Wolfred ends up being, um, an artist. Um, so he loves to draw. turns out, uh, words are not really his thing. Um, but a picture okay, is worth well, a thousand we, words, we, right? <laughs> we won't tell everybody what Cinderella and the evil queen end up doing. Okay. Okay. Are you, are, <laughs> yeah. are you happy now? happy the way i'm just asking for your readers like do you want me to spoil the story or not i i'm ready <laughs> no one third of the story is fine um so rosie uh that's a very good name for an optimistic person um are you an optimistic person yes of course <laughs> well then tell us a, a little bit about your autobiography and how it relates to the story 
Yes, well, so um, I'm an immigrant um, from Bulgaria, and uh, when I um, moved to North America, I was already a young adult, so I didn't get to go to school here or anything like that, and English was my fourth language. Um, Your so fourth speak... language? Yes, yes. So, numero uno? <laughs> Bulgarian. Numero due? Russian in school. We had to. Mm -hmm. Russian, yes. And then uh, French. Da, конечно. Okay, and then the French. On peut parler French, yes, I went français. to France. Yep. Tu parles français aussi? Oui. Oui. Incroyable. Incroyable. The Catherine Long. So, yeah, I went to uh, French language school, and then my major uh, was in, um, in French. Uh, so, I really learned for the longest time I was I was in love with French that was my thing and then you know it's English well briefly in university I also learned some Italian but that yeah <laughs> I wasn't into it too much because yeah so when, you, when you came to America yes at the age of 22 yes your English wasn't good well, it wasn't perfect. I wasn't fluent. Like I was speaking some um, because I, again, I, I learned some in school, but I wasn't fluent. Um, so, and I had an accent and, you know, I was still trying to figure not that I don't <laughs> right now, but I was still trying to figure it out. And uh, especially, in, you know, writing um, in English. So, so that was, that was a bit of a challenge. And then when I decided to suddenly become an author. Um... One second, one second. Run us through the process, please. Yeah, sure. So um... you, you wanted to be a baker and a haiku writer. Well, and to, and not to dance with princess. Okay, not, a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so building a new life, right? Starting a new family in a new country. Um, we had to, I had to work, of course, uh, didn't have kids at the time, uh, newly married. Um, and so I um, was trying to, to, you know, find a job. So we first lived in Canada and my, my yeah. job. Where? <laughs> Vancouver, BC. That's not really the Canada. What do you mean? That's the prettiest place. Oh, because people in Vancouver don't suffer enough in the winter to be true Canadians. Right, right. There's that. That, But that's why it's a lovely place to live. Because <laughs> you don't suffer as much in the winter. So, yeah. And so, yeah, I, we lived there for a while. And the job that I got there was at the international airport. I was um, a security officer at the international airport. And so one day a customer told me to go back home, <laughs> to go back to where I, I came from because I was, my English wasn't <laughs> so good. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was a bit hurtful, but hey, I, I didn't listen to him, right? So I enrolled in some more um, English classes. You went to the school of failure. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I went to learn instead of, you know, giving up. And, um, and I was really yeah, immersed at, um, at my job, you know, um, and in this new country. Um, and then I had a child and then um, we moved to um, the United States and I started reading picture books to her. 
And I've always been a writer, Mel. I just loved it all my life, um, writing essays and poetry as a kid in any language that I would speak, Bulgarian, French, you name it. I was just always writing. I was even rewriting when I was a teenager, you know, those heartbreaking moments and um, whatnot. I was rewriting lyrics of famous songs just to, you know, sing my soul <laughs> and just get over whatever was going on so that's how I process you know always being creative uh crafty creative uh and a writer that was my escape and a reader of course you know that was my escape so when I started reading picture books to her I really um went back to that love of of writing and reading um, and picture books were very appealing to me. I thought I would love to write my own. And then I started thinking about publishing and becoming an author. And that was a crazy, crazy dream. <laughs> Hold on a second. Um, um, as a young child, a five-year-old, um, did you have many picture books in Bulgaria? I have no idea. No, no, actually, I didn't. Um, I don't remember having uh many picture books um at that time um it was maybe just a few fairy tales um I don't even remember my parents reading books to me it was more like my grandparents were telling me stories and um and I really loved that but I had a vinyl of Cinderella and that I used to play it over and over and over like a million times I knew it by heart and that was the thing I enjoyed the princess and the happy ending and the and there was uh, lovely music and it was just uh the greatest thing I remember that um that you story see, and the voices. So we, we write our five-year-olds into our stories for five-year-olds <laughs> yes <laughs> Pretty much, I guess, yeah. So continue with your Cinderella story because anybody who's listened to this interview uh, knows that people like you are one in a zillion. Uh, it's so rare. I mean, we all want to be children's book writers um, to find a, an agent, a, a traditional publishing house, one in 5,000 uh, to have successful books and uh, more than one, one in 50,000. You're, you're a rare breed, you know? People are going Thank to you. listen to this program and they're going to learn four languages now. <laughs> yeah. So, I, okay. Yeah, so I would encourage them. You're, yeah, so you're in Dallas with a, with a young child you're reading to him or her and you say, oh, this is what I want to do. Yeah, well, before Dallas, we kind of used to move around. We, I used to live in uh, South Carolina um and then um california for a while so it's been a few places but we finally decided to settle in, in dallas and yeah i had my first child and then i'm reading picture books to her and started writing and once i started writing my own i couldn't stop like i got obsessed with telling stories and trying to figure out how this business works and um how to get published um, and I was absolutely clueless, of course. Um, and at the time, I just didn't have the support, didn't have critique group, didn't um, know many people, didn't have any connections. I was um, really afraid to share my work. And it just took a long time and just be confident in, in my language skills, too. 
Um, and so, yeah, it was a long, long process. I was eager to submit to, and um, I, I'm going to admit, like many writers, beginners, um, I started sending out uh, work that was not ready. Just I was so anxious and eager to you know, find a way to get published. And of course, you know, there were many rejections, many um, no responses and, and stuff like that until I decided to focus on the craft and take control because this was Rosie, something- hold on a sec. Yeah. Because yep. we don't talk about this enough on the show. Um, there's two kinds of writers, maybe two kinds of people when we talk about failure and success. Um, there's some people who get rejected, not only from writing, and they blame the world. They will say, I don't know, you know, it's all uh, protection and pull and knowing people. And I go into a store, Barnes and Noble, and I, I write better than all the books. And I'm great and the world doesn't appreciate me. So that's the kind of failure that doesn't have a resolution, right? And then there's right. people like you and say, oh, it's me. I'm not good enough. What, 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 how did, how did, what does that come from? Well, I think it, it's, uh, we have phases, right? We, it's a combination of things, I, I would say. Um, and then we can go through our little phase and, and, and be, you know, have our pity party for a while um, until we grow enough to realize that it's actually us. Like, it's not the world. <laughs> it's us and that we can take control and be responsible for our own craft, for our own choices, and how we show up in the world and what we do. Um, and and it, it makes all the difference. So once I realized that, hey, it's not the world, it's probably me and there's something I can do about it. And it feels so much better to be in control because craft is a skill that you can develop. You can um, learn and you can become better. And that's up to you. Like nobody's going to knock on your door and say, hey, what did you do with your craft today? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what did you accomplish today in, in that regard? Right. Um, so you do have to realize and, and start looking internally and see what you can do, not depend on what other people um, say to you, like a no or it's not good enough or whatever. And there's always another thing is there's always the next story. You know, you can always write more. You can always write better and you can always try someone else. Like sometimes if it's not a good fit, then that's that, you know, you don't want to work with someone who's not passionate about your work. It's both ways. Like you want to work with them, but they have to also want to work with you and be passionate about your story, get it really, um, and, and be invested in it. So, okay, so it goes so both you, ways. Okay. Uh, eventually found an agent first or a publisher first? Uh, so I um, eventually, yes, found an agent uh, with a middle grade novel. And yes, yes, um, even though I'm very partial to um, picture books, um, when I was writing, I found a story that was too long for a picture book, like it was too complicated. And I figured, you know, this is not going to fit into a picture book format. And 
I, I realized it it was a middle grade novel, but I had no clue how to write um, a novel, right? Uh, that's much longer, much more complicated. It's a different craft. So again, I was at this point where like, what do I do now? Like, I want to tell this story, but it's too long and I've never done it before. And I started writing and then at 5,000 words, I stopped and decided to again, educate myself. So for the next six months, I just read middle grade novels and books on the craft just to figure out how to tell this story. And, but I was really determined to finish it. That was, I was stubborn, determined, committed, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, and at that, at that time, I found a critique group, which made all the difference through um, the SCBWI. Mm-hmm. And then we were meeting in person at a Barnes and Noble um, Starbucks. So every week I had to bring a new chapter and that's what kept me going. And after a year and a half, I did finish the novel. So that was the backstory. But to answer your question, yes, that was the book that actually at submission number 116 found an agent. And she was was, really... Who was the agent? um, Her name... Well, she's no longer an agent, but it was, yeah. um, It was a long time ago. Um, So A a long time ago. You're 26, right? (laughs) right <laughs> yeah it was a 21 um but um so she was really passionate about the story and all that and we shopped it our contract was for a year but then it didn't sell it got close a couple of times but it didn't sell and then we parted ways because she wouldn't represent my picture books and so that was agent number one but I was getting somewhere that was a big boost in confidence you know i finally had an agent okay we are back for part two (laughs) yes interview with the wonderful rosie pova um just like your life which had the 22 year old growing up in bulgaria and then the adult rosie uh this is the first interview with two parts part a and part b um there was a huge power outage here in israel uh, but it seems to be uh, rectified, I hope, because I am on the 33rd floor and I don't want to walk down the stairs. But uh, having said that, welcome back to the show, Rosie Pova. Thank you. And we're Part here, two is fun, too. <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> your new book, right, yes. uh, which right. is The School of Failures. And um, when the Internet dies, you rekindle it. Um, yes. Uh, So uh, about the book you were saying, okay. Yeah. The school of failure, a story about success is about, um, three, um, characters, um, who wanted to be in a fairy tale, but they got rejected and they were being very dramatic about it. Um, not liking the rejection. Um, and, uh, so that's how they end up in the school of failure, so that they can learn to fail without giving up. That's right. We did the same thing now. We did. We, we, <laughs> we were, didn't give we, up. <laughs> we didn't give up at all. We, no. we We resurrected. So here we're in part <laughs> B. And in part one, you were talking about uh, how you managed to be the one in 50,000 writers that has a multi-book career. And um, 
you had this strange, uh, but true, of uh, loving picture books, but writing in middle grade and selling that one. So I'm just recapping. Uh, so you had an agent, the year went by, you didn't sell it. Uh, you had 116 rejections, and then what happened? And then I continued writing because, again, I figured, you know, there's always the next story and the next story, but I was writing picture books. That was my focus. That was my sweet spot. I loved it. Um, read more picture books, um, went to conferences, workshops, uh, seminars, whatever I can uh, get into, and then also had a critique group at that time, um, which, again, was super helpful and kept me going. And then I started submitting um, to both agents and um, publishers. And just, you know, um, you know, fast forward to today, I've worked with five different agents, but uh, the ironic thing is I um, sold all of my books uh, myself directly to publishers. So it just, the way it was, it was working backwards to me. <laughs> I was selling books and then finding agents or finding an agent that help I sell a book. Um, so uh, that's how, how it worked. But uh, right now I'm represented by a wonderful, amazing agent, uh, Jennifer Harrington at Harvey Klinger. And she's um, super editorial, super kind, super knowledgeable. Um, and I'm so happy to be in partnership with her submitting my new stories now. Wonderful. So the last one you sold to Yehu? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. Didn't you think of reaching out to an agent and saying, why don't you represent me? I know you'll look after my interests. Um, um, or do you have so much experience that you don't need agents anymore? Yes. Uh, well, uh, all of my books have uh, had agents on, on record for the contract because uh, okay. they did negotiate the contract, but the initial offer came from my own submission. So yes, yes, um, I did. Some of it worked that way. You know, I would get an offer and reach out to the agents I had already submitted and um, just to uh, update them because you're supposed to, uh, you know, hey, I want, uh, I have an offer. Um, and then uh, some of it was like, I signed with an agent and maybe like a week later, <laughs> I get that offer. Um, so we get to negotiate it because I'm already represented, but, um, yeah, that, so I did have, um, support and help with the contracts because otherwise I would have been lost. I don't like negotiating contracts on so, my own. So, so Rosie's story is, uh, find a publisher and then get an agent. <laughs> get an agent. Yes. Yes. I'm an expert on that too. <laughs> So, and, and today you, you help uh, other writers at various stages in their careers. I do, I do, Mel. And, and it gives me uh, such a uh, pleasure to be able to help because looking back, I did waste nine years until I, I found my first agent because again, I was too much like focused on the wrong thing uh, on the submission, on the query letter, without making sure my uh, craft is, you know, um, at, at the level um, that, you know, can get a book deal. So now um, I've created courses and mentorships uh, to take them through the whole process. Um, it was everything I wished I knew when I first started um, because, Going to conferences, yes, it was helpful, but um, 
it was just learning one element here and then one element there. And I had to piece it all together and took months and years. And I still wasn't clear. There were a lot of uh, questions on the, both on the craft and the business, because those are two separate things. Um, and so now I just take them through the whole process. I want them to know it all, all of it that I figured out on my own, made all the mistakes, invented new mistakes, <laughs> you know, then learned <laughs> and then um, put it all in a package um, to be helpful. And my students have been doing um, great things with their careers, advancing and um, getting closer to their to their dream because you know, you, you is... can't you, you can't really promise a student to get a traditionally published deal because um, we've made the calculation and only one in a hundred really good submissions, really good books, mm -hmm. uh, will find an agent or a publisher. Yeah, um, yeah. And, 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 you know, the story of one in 5,000, one in 50,000, it really doesn't teach you what you have to do because your story, Rosie, is such a unique one. Um, you know, I would tell my students, you know, write in your mother tongue, for example, um, stick, if, if you want to do picture books, stick to picture books, even though I've had people on the show who have had success with middle grade and then gone back to, uh, to picture books. So maybe that is a good piece of advice. Uh, yeah, what other... I, I focus, yeah, Go I ahead. focus on picture books with, with, because, um, yeah, um, that's what I want to teach on. And I'm not an artist, but as far as the, um, you know, writing and submission, I've been <clears throat> through <laughs> a lot. Um, and, and you're right, Mal, there are no guarantees. Um, the only thing we can do is um, make sure we're honing our craft. Um, and, um, and then the other thing is, you know, just removing just having clarity on how to approach the business, just knowing and making the, the decisions uh, from a place of being informed. Um, and that's that's what I offer. I don't offer guarantees, of course. I, um, I can't do that. Nobody can do that. And there's, you know, um, so many other things involved. But, but the thing that we can control, again, going back to my own experience, is the craft and um, and knowing the business, not going into it just blind and, mm -hmm. and, and making the mistakes just to figure it out. So, so here's the segue into, into the next question. Um, mm -hmm. Do you, first of all, do you know when you have an idea for a book? Do you, do you have like some way of coming up with ideas? Uh, does it hit you on the way to the supermarket? Uh, when do you get the ideas? Can you... Uh, pinpoint those moments in time well all of the above um i might read something and then get inspired to write um my own story on whatever it is maybe even just the feeling of, of the story um i might hear something in my head um i might hear a line of dialogue or um, just brainstorm um on whatever i think i want to write about next and just really put some thought into it. And that's how I come up. So all of the above, there's not a, a, a single formula that I follow because I believe ideas are everywhere and you just have to stay open. Um, so we, we, have to, we, have, we have to follow this up because I teach students how to come up with ideas. So we're going to have too. to take, we're going to take this offline and talk about that some other time. Um, so, and here's, so here's the other question. You talked about business. 
publishing is a business. Um, uh, publishers will not take your manuscript um, if they don't think they can sell the book. So when you're coming up with ideas, um, do you judge them by, oh, this might be a really good story, but who's going to take it up? Would you say, oh, hell be damned, I'm going to write a great story and somebody will love it and publish it? Well, um, I do both. And I'm sorry that I don't <laughs> give you, you know, just, just one or the other uh, as my answer. But um, Fine. Sometimes, yeah, I, I, if I feel really strongly about a story, um, it's, I, I would still write it because if the mark is not right for it now, it might be later, but I just feel strongly about that story and I want to tell it. And if it doesn't sell, at least I got it out of my system and I tried, you know, so I don't have regrets, um, not having tried. So that's one part of it. The other part is, um, yes, I do consider the market. I hear a lot from, you know, editors and from my agents when, when she shares what the market is, what she hears from, from her meetings and what they're looking for, not looking for. Um, so I do give it a thought, you know, is this marketable? It, it, because like you said, it is a business. So they have to sell the book too. And I consider that as well to be more Wonderful. strategic and to be more focused. Okay, let's go back to your first picture book. When was that published and what was that one? Uh, that was published in 2017 by a small publisher uh, here in Texas. And um, if I weren't with you, it's about um, mother's unconditional love and reassurance of safety and security for her little cub who's very curious um, and has a lot of why questions and what would you do questions, just like my own child had at, at some point. <laughs> okay, and um, how did that one do? It sounds marketable. Uh, yes, uh, well, um, so I sold that again um, directly to the publisher and they were pretty new at the time. Um, so, I, but I, here's the thing with that, I did learn how to market, <laughs> how to be my own marketer and not really sit around and wait for the book to be discovered or to, um, so I did a lot of that and it really helped to understand, um, the marketing part of it, even though I'm an introvert, you know, I am a creative, um, but it's just needed. And you are an introvert. <laughs> what are you introverted about? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> so really, did, did you yeah. have the heebie-jeebies to be on the interview? <laughs> no, not not really. And you're not really an introvert. Well, I I learned to become. What does Jack Canfield? He has a word for it. Um, situational extrovert. Situational extrovert. Yeah, that's what I learned because, yeah, if I'm at a school visit, you know, I can be just all to myself. And also with marketing, again, that was a training um, to get me to be more open and sharing and, um, you know, spreading the word, not relying so much on other people. So, yeah, it's a skill. <laughs> Mel, it's a skill. 
So you are you are a person who has what they call grit. Okay. You're yes. like you, you, you're like um, these dolls that you, you can't knock down. They'll come right back up. <laughs> I oh, like that. Yeah. I failed 116 times. Okay. Yeah. No big deal. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you, 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 you don't want to talk too much about your childhood in Bulgaria, but is there something in your childhood that, that made you this Rosie, this persevering Rosie that has a dream and mm-hmm. understands that in order to pursue dreams, you have to learn and fail and acquire skills. Most people don't don't understand that, and you do. Well, yeah, I don't, yeah. Uh, I did learn, and it probably, it was intuitive um, most of the time. Um, but yeah, I was a big dreamer. So I did have sort of a like, tough childhood and you know growing up in communist Bulgaria and this and that but um but I was a big dreamer I was a daydreamer I was I was mocked by my family for being a dreamer you know for wanting more um for uh just not wanting to settle with whatever they were telling me I'm supposed to do I had big dreams um so yeah, always daydreaming, my head in the clouds, um, knowing that there's better, there's more, and wanting to 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 have that, um, you know, a different life. And so I was, I was, I just refused to listen when they were telling me I'm just, you know, <laughs> lost, hopeful, or whatever. I just knew that I would. Um, I would find something else, like not what they were telling me. Um, and intuitively just kept going toward that uh, idea. It was just, you know, really a daydream, honestly, at the time. But I just knew that I would not be there doing what they were telling me I should be doing. <laughs> so that's, there, there, that's part of it. There's a great story here, you know, Rosie wanted more. Yeah, yeah, she did. She really did. So today, uh, when you are successful and uh, you have many books out and you are sharing your craft and you have an agent, uh, are you are you happy now or does, does Rosie want more? Rosie always wants more. <laughs> she is happy and then she wants more. <laughs> so, but that's the best place to be you know just doing what you love and being happy where you are and then always wanting more because I don't think we ever stop wanting more we never stop improving we never stop learning so there's always the next uh, step but but that's the joy of it you know otherwise it'd be so boring because you've arrived at a place and if there's nothing more then you're done and you're like well, you know, that's sad. So I just, there's always more, Mel. There's mm-hmm. always more. If there isn't more, then what's it for? Exactly. Exactly my point. Yeah. And on, on that happy me. note, I'm going to uh, tell everybody to run out and buy your incredible new book, uh, The School of Failures. Um, failing is such an important part of our, our lives. And uh, if any teachers are listening, uh, and I'm sure there are, Uh, We should teach failure in school. 
um, you know, four plus four may or may not be nine, but people shouldn't be punished for thinking that it is. Yes. Great things have come out uh, from failure. And I believe um, kids need to know and not be afraid of failure, uh, but embrace it as their friend, as something normal and, um, and change their, well, you just need to change our mindset about it. So, um, Rosie, uh, I wish you success with your book on failure and with everything else that you do. It was a real joy interviewing you twice. <laughs> yes. And uh, I cannot wait to see what other books you have up your sleeve. Uh, thank you, Mal. It was a pleasure chatting with you. I'm so happy to be a guest. Twice. Until next time. <laughs> twice. I'm so special. Yes. Un until, your, until your next book. Yes. <laughs> okay, dear. Thank you so much. So this is Mel Rosenberg, the host of the Children's Literature Channel for the New Books Network. And I've been speaking to the wonderful Rosie J. Pova on her new book, The School of Failure. And the subtitle uh, is? Uh, a Story About Success. School of Failures, A Story About Success. It doesn't get any better than that. Rosie, thanks a million. Thank you. Bye, all. <laughs> Bye for now.